A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Good Humans Podcast with me, Cooper Chapman, chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. What's going on, you good humans? Welcome to guest episode 120 of Good Humans Podcast with a man that I absolutely love chatting to, Keegan Hipgrave. This guy is a legend doing some amazing stuff with a story that you won't believe. As always, a huge thank you to our sponsors, Drink a Rapper, the brain drink, all developed by neuroscientists. Millions of dollars of clinical studies have gone into this drink to prove that it's going to actually help you. So it's all about short-term brain performance, long-term brain health, all 100% natural ingredients. New Zealand neuroberry tastes like black currant. It's delicious. Mixed with L-theanine and pine bark extract. This stuff has all been clinically proven. You can head over to the website, drinkarapid.com, learn all about the science over there. You can also pick up some of their products all for 25% off if you use the code GOODHUMAN. You can pick up the capsules, the drinks, the powder, all of this stuff really helps your brain. And yeah, it's been clinically proven as well now. Go check it out. You're going to love it. Tag us on your Instagram story if you enjoy it. Drink a rapper or at Cooper Chapman. would love to know what you think of it. All right, today's episode, Keegan. Far out. This guy's got a crazy story. He was medically retired from the NRL um, a couple of years ago, but it's what he's doing after his career that I really love. But this chat, we got to go all the way back, learn about what NRL meant to him, how he got into it, his journey into the NRL, but then also the few head knocks and concussions and continual um, brain injuries he had, which led to him needing to be medically retired, which at 23 years old is a big thing, having to retire from a career that you've got so much ahead of you in. But yeah, having to do it, obviously, to take care of your health. Um, yeah, it was really special getting to hear all about Keegan's story. But what I loved is what he's doing now after his career, working for What Ability, um, which is a disability charity, helping people who obviously need the help in different times of their life to have great experiences and really connect people through the love of sport. He's jumped straight into this role. He's connecting so many other athletes with this purpose, with this connection to helping people, which is just so special. I loved all of this chat. I love exactly what Keegan is doing in his life and we're going to yeah, be friends for a long time. I just jumped on his podcast too. So I'll leave in the show notes if you want to go listen to his new podcast he just launched. Um, I did an episode over there. He's bloody phenomenal speaker and just has a pure heart. You're going to love it. So let's jump into my chat with him. You're going to love it. If you do enjoy it, tag us on your Instagram story. Give us five stars on um, Spotify and Apple. And yeah, most importantly, just tell a friend about it. Just tell one friend, send him a message, be like, hey, I listen to this podcast. I think you might get something out of it. It's the greatest way we can help the show grow. And yeah, I reckon you're going to enjoy the episode. So let's jump into it. Welcome to Good Humans Podcast, Keegan Hipgrave. How you going, mate? Man, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. It's bloody beautiful Sunday here on the Gold Coast. I am very grateful for the fact that I live in a beautiful spot. We're looking out the window. There's not a cloud in the sky. And yeah, we get to have a chat on a Sunday morning, which I'm very excited for. Yeah, mate, we're doing it tough. I flew in a couple of days ago and I swear every time I come back to the Goldie, it's like there's not a cloud in the sky and it's just beautiful. It's it's the best. I feel so blessed. The first question I do quickly open every podcast with, and I'm excited to hear what you say for this, is what are you grateful for right now? Uh, grateful? Um, probably... Probably being back on the Gold Coast and seeing my friends and family. Like I grew up here. I spent most of my childhood here, um, even my late teens, early 20s. And just like reconnecting with all my friends, all my family, guys I used to play footy with. Um, yeah, probably just like the friendships that I've got here on the Goldie. Yeah, yeah. I love it here. I'm like, I've assimilated or like moved up here from Sydney and I don't feel like I'm ever going to go back. So yeah. I can understand why you're grateful for the Goldie. The other thing I do open with and... Um, as we go through this chat, it's going to probably show how important our brain is and taking care of our brain. So I don't know if you've seen this stuff. Have you seen Drink no, a Rapper? Okay, no, no. great. So Drink a Rapper sponsored my podcast. It's a brain drink all developed by neuroscientists. These guys over in New Zealand were working for like V and would go to servos, drop off the product and be like, what are we doing? We're just poisoning, like watching kids walk yeah. out of servos with these energy drinks. Yeah, yeah. They're like, maybe we can de- develop a product that actually has science and do the clinical studies to prove that it works. So these guys started a drink called, um, yeah, Drink a Rapper. 
use this or will work with this neuroscientist professor Andrew Scully and they've been doing clinical studies for the last like eight years spent over five million dollars to prove that their product works so it's got three ingredients it's um short-term brain performance long-term brain health it's like a New Zealand black currant berry basically mm-hmm. pine bark extract and then L-theanine and yeah it's delicious do you like black currant flavor I love black currant I might uh, need a I'm, it, I'm, I'm gonna get them to send this I might need a box of this yeah, mate yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a few boxes there so cheers so well, do our little cheers, rapid cheers and yeah, good for your brain. And it tastes mad as well. It's delicious. It's yeah. so good. I'm so lucky that I just have a fridge full of it. I'll send you home with some as well. Mate, and give too. some to the swimmers too. Yeah. But man, I'm excited to hear your story. I love talking to other young Australian athletes. I guess we're in a very similar age demographic. If my research is right, your birthday's on the 1st of January. Yeah, it's always a party, mate. It's always good. Yeah. How good yeah. is that? Um, a couple of years younger than me. But we were talking about footy before this because you um, played in the NRL for a couple of years before being medically retired. And we had, um, yeah, a few mates that I grew up playing with, the guys that you played with. So we we have some connections. I love getting to bounce around and just talk about the different upbringings because for me, it's almost like that was a path that maybe I could have taken and I went this way. So hearing other stories is really cool. So, mate, let's go back to the start. Where'd you grow up? What was life like as a youngster? Yeah, great, mate. Yeah, I um, so I grew up on the Gold Coast, uh, predominantly Palm Beach. Went to Palm Beach, Crumbin, um, predominantly rugby league and surfing school. Yeah, um, heard some stories. Yeah, there. it's wild, mate. Like it was, it used to be a lot rougher back in the day. Now it's very much independent and very private. They got the you know leather shoes on. They got the jackets. They, they it's it's great. But growing up for me, um, I loved surfing. I wasn't ever really that great at it, but I really loved it. Um, so going to Palmy, I got a really great mix of surfing, being around the surfing boys, but then also footy and rugby league. Um, I started playing rugby league when I was about eight years old. Um, so not super young. And yeah, not super young. Like played obviously. Like my parents were really great in the sense that they let me play everything. Yeah. So we did surf lifesaving. Um, we did surfing. Um, got to play soccer as well. Uh, water polo was another really great sport. So. My parents are really great. They just let me play everything. But rugby league was probably the thing that I kind of gravitated to the most, probably because I was bigger than everyone else. Um, and it was something, I know, yeah, I was mad. I was a big kid. Probably wasn't until I was 16 where everyone started catching up to me and I realized that, okay, well, I'm going to have to actually start bringing in some other traits and some other skills if I want to make it to the next level. Um, but yeah, mate, growing up was, it was just fun, like a very active, probably similar to yourself, like, yeah, growing up, surfing, playing footy, being around mates, and yeah, it was pretty cool. Nice. So let's let's fast forward straight to high school because high school is, I guess, where we start to develop. We start to become the humans that we're going to grow into. What was the high school experience like for you? Were you already pretty highly sort of touted in rugby league? I know on the Gold Coast, I know the feeder programs up here to some of the, um, yeah, to the clubs like the Broncos and the Titans and whatnot is pretty awesome. So yeah, what was that period like through high school for you? And when did you start thinking, wow, rugby leagues maybe? Yeah. The future? Yeah. So um I wanted to go to Palm Beach Grumman because they had one of the best sporting excellence programs in Australia um, between them and Keeper Park, I think anyway. And I obviously went to Palmy because it's right on the beach. Yeah. So I got best of both worlds. But I did um yeah, I did all my junior development at the Brisbane Broncos. Um same thing. They were one of the best junior development clubs and and I probably didn't think rugby league was going to be a career. Like my mom, like when I was in year eight, year nine, my mom was always like uh, plan B. Like, what are you going to be doing outside of footy? So, and I carried that through all throughout my NRL career. So in high school, I wanted to train hard. I wanted to keep working towards my goal. My main goal throughout high school was to play in the Australian schoolboys team. Yeah. So at 16, um, I had my my mirror, I had the Australian team written up and I had all these little quotes on my mirror on the wall. And and I still do this these little things now, even now with other goals that I had. Um, Where did these little skills and these um, things come from? Was there a coach or was there no, anyone that sort of I'm inspired not... you to have that, yeah, go get a do everything it takes attitude. I'm not sure, mate. I'm not sure. People ask me that, like, like why do you ride on the mirror? I was like, I don't know. I, I, it was very instinctual at a young age, like 15 or 16. I think I read Michael Jordan's book at around 15, 16 and around that time and realizing that 
you actually have to put in a lot of work to get to where you want to go. So my mm. big goal in high school was to play in the Australian rugby league team. So I remember I'd always get to school early. I would always have a really great relationship with the coaches and they would do like extra boxing sessions with me, extra fitness sessions with me. Um, I've had a couple really great games in year 12. Um, and that's kind of... I guess like contracts aren't really getting thrown around then, but I'll, my whole goal was to get to the Australian rugby league team. And I, and I made the Australian rugby league team played the end of the schoolboy career and then got offered a four year contract with the Brisbane Broncos and the Gold Coast Titans. I had the, both of them to choose from, wow. um, which was, which was, it was hard because the Brisbane Broncos, I did all my junior development through and I loved the Broncos growing up and I had a lot of idols that I looked up to, but then Gold Coast was also my home. Um, but anyway, I ended up signing with the Gold Coast Titans um, for a four-year contract. And that's 17. That's pretty, it's pretty rare. That's so, huge. Mate. Um, so it's pretty, so, and so probably at that point I thought, wow, actually this could be something that, you know, I could make as a career. Um, obviously still very conscious that it's, it's pretty rare to make the NRL. But at 17, I was like, nah, I'm going to have a crack at it. I'll still keep my plan B. I'll still keep studying. I'll still do my stuff outside of footy. But it was very much like, okay. Made the Australian schoolboys team, got the contract. Let's. What's that next step? It's probably going to be trying to make the NRL. So that four-year contract isn't a spot in the NRL team. It's kind of in the training squad for yeah. that division. Okay. Yeah. So you um. So usually, usually the NRL contracts will get rolled out after the under twenties period. So back then there was an under twenties competition. Uh, so okay. you're 18, 19, 20. And from there, like those contracts are a bit smaller in terms of um, length and size. Um, But having, I don't know, just got lucky, I guess. The scouts might have saw something in me. Um, So I got to train a part of the NRL squad at 18. Wow. So yeah, you're not promised to play at all. Like, don't get me wrong. Like it was pretty much just to train. Like you get to train with them full time. So Monday to Sunday, Monday to Friday, whatever the training schedule is like, you can train with them um, and then drop back to the under 20s competition to play with everyone else. Okay. At this stage, because you kind of mentioned that your mom and yourself were always curious and always aware of needing a plan B. I feel like it's something that I've always had in the back of my mind as a young athlete too. It's like, we very rarely get told that they're like, timeline for an amazing career is like the end of your 20s Mm. anything after that you're like a unicorn but for most it's so short so i think having that plan b is important did you do anything when you were when you were surfing were you studying or did you do anything outside of surfing i did like certain courses i didn't go to uni i was like my travel was so erratic and it's just an excuse but i was traveling around the world and getting paid like fifty thousand dollars a year already enough to sort of support myself that it wasn't like this real need to go and get some stuff but mm. i did a few courses i did like my strength and conditioning yeah. level three like in year 11 and 12 i then did like a frontline management like course at tafe just to keep learning then i did like a saw and then like kind of later i started to do a few more things but i was always like oh i should do a tafe course or i should do something to keep up my learning but yeah. i mean to be honest those the courses and stuff i did just yeah. i spent money and didn't really yeah. learn that yeah, much yeah, to be yeah. honest yeah, yeah. But yeah, what did you do? What was your balance to um, go to uni as well to juggle that? Must have been tricky. Yeah, so I did a Bachelor of Business majoring in management. Um, always curious about the business space. I'm not sure why. Um, but anyway, I, I did a Bachelor of Business. Uh, and then once I finished that, did that knock that over in about five years, which was pretty cool. Most guys take about 10 years because they do it part time. So yeah. instead of the four subjects, they might do the two. I don't know. I think I was just doing summer semesters and I just wanted to smash it out. Um, so I did that in about five years and then started my MBA. So my master's in business administration at Bond University. And that was probably towards the back end of my career. Back end meaning like 23 because yeah, <laughs> I retired, yeah. retired at 24. Um, but yeah, so I started my MBA and I've always, I think my parents, like I said before, my parents drummed that into me. Like, yeah. And I was conscious, I guess I was always kind of scared that like what to do after footy. I was never like, I wanted to play till I was 30, like mm. 30 into my thirties. I wanted to have one of those 10 year careers, wanted to play hundred, 200 games. Like everyone, like I'm sure yourself wants to play in the, go to the WSL, wants to surf, like wants to surf full time forever into their thirties, forties. Um, but realistically, um, the odds are pretty much stacked against you in terms of like actually being able to do that. There's only a small percentage of people that can do that. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I studied, I'm still studying. I love learning. I'm always reading um just curious i think i'm just always curious yeah yeah i love that i'm I'm excited to continue to learn about what you've learned along the journey and what you're taking into now with work yeah but let's talk about the nrl career now training in the 20s you got this couple year contract you have a bit of i guess not cushion that you've got 
you're not fighting for a contract each year. You've got a bit of a safety net, but you're also studying. What are you doing for what? Like, how do you make a bit of money on those contracts? Just yeah, so you can... yeah, full, you're full time. Okay, yeah, you're full time. So when you when you go full time, the minimum starting salary is like 120. Yeah, and so for a kid like that's that's huge. Yeah, and so you talk about and that's you, that's and that's probably another conversation. Like you've got kids who are coming out of high school. They get if they might be on the top end, they might be like a minimum is 120. They might be on a couple hundred thousand. Not having the tools or not having the resources to be able to, if you've got a good family, a good network that can help you with that money, it's great. But if you don't have that, now you guys see guys like gambling, see guys on the pokies, blowing it on pierce, blowing it on whatever. It's like I've I've spoken to so many guys that they were top end, like they were the same, like coming out, they were playing really high quality football, getting paid a heap of cash, and they're like, I don't even have a cent saved from my first contract. I was paying for the cabs, you know, into the, into the, you know, clubs or whatever. Like I wouldn't let any of my family pay for dinner and they just blow, would blow it all. It wasn't until they hit their, you know, mid twenties. They're like, oh, actually I need to start saving. I need to start investing. I need to start like being well with my money. Um, but no, man, I was, I was, I had a good family around me. So I did, um, I invested well, like while I was going, cause I realized probably it's not going to be around forever, but yeah. Yeah. It's, but you can like to answer your question, mate. Yeah, you can leave. It's your your job is to to train and play. Yeah, yeah. So you're doing that. When do you get your first kind of sniff that? Oh, maybe I'm gonna start playing NRL because, like yeah. you said, under twenties is a pretty big comp as well. Yeah. When because some people play NRL before they're under twenties. Yeah, finished, yeah. yeah, mate. Yeah, some guys play at eighteen. Some guys start making their debuts at twenty five. Like it's yeah. just, it's it's all it's all comparative. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, no, I guess. I guess I was kind of arrogant when I was younger. I and pro- actually probably arrogant's not the right word, but I was just very self-confident in the sense where I had my goal and I wanted to play NRL. And I guess probably to my detriment, I was I was comparing myself to a lot of the my idols, like guys like Corey Parker, um, who played for Australia, played for Queensland, um, and he debuted at eighteen, bought his first house at eighteen. Well, I was like, okay, well. I want to debut at 18 and I want to buy my first house at 18. And if he did that, well, maybe I can have half the career that he had. Mm. Um, So I put a lot of pressure on myself to try and play NRL at 18, 19, 20. Um, When I was, when I was 18, I was captaining the Bronx on the 20 side. Um, Same under 19. When I was 19, I was captaining the Bronx in that under 20s competition, having a lot of success, probably, when I was 19, probably the key factor or the key sort of memory that I, I you know, that happened was um, I had a heap of hamstring tears. Um, so, and this is, this is at a pivotal time where I want to play grade. Training with the boys, think it could be a, like a reality. Tore my hamstring five times in that season. Um, so, and I guess if it was an ACL, they're like, okay, you're out for the next six to nine months and that's fine. But the hamstring is a weird one. I'm not sure if you, you know, had many hamstring tears, but it's like you tear it. And then, okay, we'll do the rehab. And I guess I was kind of in a bit of a rush to get back to play. So I rushed the rehab, came back, tore it again. Mm. And then, and it was just that. And then I was like, okay, well, I'll extend it out a little bit longer, tore it again. And it was just a roller coaster, man. And I remember I tore it the fifth time. And it was just after. And I remember because the boys, like, when you're in a rugby league environment, like, the boys are always putting shit on you. Yeah, like, yeah. And I remember one of the older boys who I really looked up to, he was like, I tore it for the fifth time and he's like, mate, if you're, if you're a horse, we'd shoot ya." And I was like, Oh my God. I was like, I was just so rattled. And then I remember calling my dad. Um, and I was like, man, I'm done with footy. Like I'm, I'm like, I was just, I was just exhausted. And obviously the hardest thing you've gone through is the hardest thing you've gone through. Yeah, yeah, and at that point, that was probably one of the hardest things that I'd gone through. And so I was ready to pack it in. I called my manager, Clinton Shafosky. I was like, man, I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm done. Hey, eh? like, I'm, and he's, pretty much just like a bit of tough love and same with my dad he's like mate you're you're 19 yeah it's like guys aren't making their debut until they're 23 24 like just take the pressure off yourself like if you need a, if you need a break like take a break um and then that's actually great timing that's probably when hugh ben sogelberg well, kylenberg well, sorry yeah, um hugh ben kylenberg um it's came in one. yeah yeah he came in and did a presentation to us and obviously he's at the um, Titans. In at, your junior so team, no, so this was this was at Bronx. So this was at Bronx. So this is before I debuted. Okay. And and I remember thinking, um, actually, it's a bit of a blur. But it was the Bronx or Titans, and but it was around that same time. And the great the the, the gratefulness, like yeah, and gratitude, gr- empathy, mindfulness. That 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 really stuck out to me. And he gave us some really great examples of Dustin Martin and a few of the boys that he was working with. And I was like, oh, I might try this. Um, anyway, I started to implement it. I, 
pulled out my um, like recovery process and then had the opportunity to go to the Gold Coast Titans. And at that time, the Bronx were killing it. Like I don't think I would have probably played because the squad was so yeah, great. Yeah. So I saw an opportunity to play great at the Titans. Anyway, made a mid-season transfer to the Titans, did a deep dive um, into Hugh's work and then um, got my hamstrings right and then I'm making my NRL debut later that year. What changed? What did you do for your hamstrings? Because obviously you end up being medically retired a few years later. Mm. Injuries are something that sounds like were pretty hard for you to deal with through yeah. that, especially when you're younger and you've got this, I want to make this goal and then you keep re-tearing it. What yeah. changed? Why do you think you stopped tearing it? And then... yeah. Yeah, what sort of mindset did you evolve to around like being at peace with injuries? I think I think I was seeing the better sides of life, to be honest. I think I was in a bit of a downward spiral and I think the mind and the subconscious is, is pretty amazing as, as what it can do, right? Like when I was at the Bronx, don't get me wrong, I loved everyone there, but I think I was in a bit of a dark place in terms of having torn my hamstring, getting in my own head, and then it wasn't until I went to the Gold Coast Titans where – it was a fresh start. Yeah. You know, I was, I was around the guys who I went to school with. I was, I was back with mates, you know, I was, I was back surfing. I was back near the water. Change of environment. And it was everything. a change. It was, I think that's what it was. I think it was a full change of environment and I was really enjoying myself. Like I was really enjoying being back playing footy. Um, I was playing reserve grade before making my NRL debut and I got around those guys as well and was playing really good footy and, um, and then, it t- and to be honest, mate, I ended up tearing my hamstring another five times throughout my career. So I ended up tearing it over 10 times throughout my NRL playing career. But those next five times didn't have the same impact as what it did before. Mm. I think it's because I'd been through it before. I'd been through that tough times and I've seen that I could come out the other side. Yeah. So that's why I was like, well, I've done that before. I can do it again. How long is a recovery for a hamstring tear? Depends, mate. Like if you do your muscle, it can be between four to eight weeks. Um, I did both. So I did muscle and then also tendon. Tendon takes a little bit longer. It can be between two to four months. Fuck, so you spent some time injured. Yeah. When was your first concussion? Yeah, yeah, mate. That's probably when I was a kid. Like yeah. the, growing up, I was I was a very competitive player. Um, was known for more of an aggressive type player, um, which I crossed the line a lot. You know, I had a lot of suspensions, a lot of send offs. Um, which, but I think I was just competitive. Um, but my first, I can't to be honest, I can't remember my first one. Yeah, I think I would have got a heap in high school. I think I would have got a heap in under 20s. When you say a heap, like, obviously there's no specific rec- recollection, but mm. just like head knocks where you're just dizzy for a bit after and you're like, oh, and then you just got that, up, shuck it off. That's and- that's the thing, mate. There's like every everything's different. Like you can have a, a diagnosed concussion where you see the effects afterwards, but you can also have a lot of smaller, minor traumatic yeah. brain injuries, not brain injuries, but like head knocks. So imagine if you're running off a kickoff into a full defensive line, you've got guys who, you know, over a hundred kilos running as fast as they can into each other. That's going to create impact, yeah. you know? Um, and so we would do that, you know, 15, 20 times a game. And then on the other end, when you're tackling, you might make between 20 to 50 tackles a game. Mm. So there's that constant head knock. Um, but for me, I think my first probably round of concussions happened in 2019. So I played a full season at the Titans. That's probably when I was playing my best footy. Yeah, let's talk about your first year. We'll come back to the concussions. Yeah, tell, yeah. T- tell me about your first year. Tell me about debuting that phone call, letting you know oh, mate. you're going to play NRL. How's yeah. that feeling? It, mate, it was, actually, it was actually pretty funny because it was the last game of the season. It was the last game of the season in 2017. I'll never forget it. The week before, we played a semifinal for the reserve, reserve grade and we got knocked out. And so... And so we had our like Sunday, yeah, silly, Monday. silly Sunday, yeah. mad Monday came in Tuesday morning with the, with the sunnies on and the head coach pulled me in and he just said, Keegs, you're making your NRL debut this weekend. And I was like, Oh wow. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to sober up. We're going to have to get ready for it. Um, but yeah. And yeah, it was, it was fun, mate. Obviously like, um, was a dream come true. Like it was everything. Who'd you to, play? I would play the roosters. We played the Roosters. I don't think um, Roosters are pretty deadly back, mate. Then. They were they were a gun side, um, and I, I was only expecting to play ten minutes off the bench, to be honest. Um, but we had a few injuries in that in that game, and ended up playing sixty minutes. Um, was up against Jared Rui Hargraves, and I remember just being like, oh, "I want to get it over him so bad." <laughs> so I was like coming out of the line trying to put shots on him, and he's just like, "Just he's a, he's a gun, mate. He's been doing it forever." And he shook my hand after the game. He said, "Mate, like." 
you're a little god like have like good work um but and yeah i'm sure to get told that it was cool one of the mate. biggest guys in the it was league. cool mate it was really cool and for Respect someone who's been a, for someone giving. who's been a hard man in the nrl for how long he's been in there over 10 years it's pretty impressive um but yeah mate played that year then following season played pretty much the whole season um that was probably my best year um in 2018 and then in 2019 had like coming back to the concussions had three big concussions like proper knockouts diagnosed concussions let's talk about the first one because yeah. I'm, I'm really intrigued to hear the protocols back then because yeah. i'm sure it's even changed since then especially with your story included yeah. but what was your understanding of like head knocked concussions the dangers of it because it's something i've learned a bit about lately um, i don't know if you've heard of the girl india robinson young australian surfer girl had a few and like was on the world tour and like her stories i it's just stuff that you just don't know as someone else she's yeah. like I had one and then the thing that stuffed me up was not being diagnosed and waiting days and trying to train that made it worse. And she's like, I couldn't go to the gym. I'd train for five minutes and need to have a nap. Like, and then reading Owen Wright's book recently, who I'll have on the podcast shortly. These are all people that are like in my circle that I know, but then I just didn't realize there's so much going on behind the scenes with it because there's just no education. And I'm sure in your spot, there is maybe more, maybe not. But yeah, when was the first time you got, made aware of like, hey, make sure you guys protect your heads as best as you can because this could happen. It's a, it's a... Sorry, it's a very layered question. No, no, it's, it's right. It's right. We can go through it. There's, um, so we have, we obviously have club doctors. The, the air shows out on the Gold Coast right now. And it's all tough. Um, like we, we have club doctors, right? Yeah. And so back then we're, we're obviously made aware that, you know, if you get a concussion, you've got to have a week off back yeah. then. And it was, and I guess I probably followed a lot of the senior guys in the NRL and everyone just wants to play wants to play footy everyone no matter what if you've got a tour ac shoulder you want to go out and play if you've got a bad knee if you everyone's carrying injuries throughout throughout your nrl season and so for me that's a visible injury a head knock is just you know it's just another injury and it's probably easier because you know i can i can play through a headache you know i can i can play you know i'm a bit fatigued but i can play through that and and so you try and you try and do everything that you can to to get through it. And there's obviously a line, like if a club doctor said, mate, you, you're not going to play, you didn't pass your code mixture yeah. test, like you didn't pass the right testing in order to play, then you wouldn't play. And that and that's fair enough. But if there's a little head knock where you're you're probably a little bit unsure if it's a concussion or not, you might have just, you know, had a bit, bit got a bit dizzy, it might have been a big collision. You're like, oh, actually, no, I'll just brush it off. I'll be fine. Um, so there was a heap of them. Um, the first the first one of 2019, to be honest, I can't remember a lot of them um i'll go back and watch them yeah. um i have gone back and watched them especially in that last season when i was at Parramatta before i got medically retired but in 2019 i had big th- three big ones and when you have three um like diagnosed concussions where they've got it on video you go through the process yeah, yeah. you don't pass con- like concussion yeah. testing you <laughs> have to go and see an independent doctor or an independent neurologist can we talk about them kind of individually just yeah. quickly because having three of them means you've come back and it's happened again and then it's come back and happened again. Yeah. That's where like a duty of care starts to come in and like what was the precaution after your first diagnosed one? Obviously, like you said, you can't remember too much about them, but maybe just around when it happened yeah. and the, the follow-on from it because that's the thing that I'm most concerned with. Yeah. Concussions now is that it's not necessarily that when it straight away happens, it's the ongoing. So yeah, what was um the recovery like from your first one? How long did you get put out yeah. for? Yeah, okay, yeah. So there's um so there's a return to there's a return to game protocol. Yeah. Um. So I would have failed my there's like a cognition test. Um. No. Nah, yeah. No. Like on once you have the concussion, if you get yeah. you come off, you finish the game, whatever yeah. it is. But that next day you'll do like an online cognition test. And so that measures like your reaction time, your memory, and you have got a baseline at the start of the season. Okay. And so you have to hit that baseline in order to go back and play. And so it's like a little card test. It's, it's kind of hard to explain, but it, it measures reaction time, um, memory, a whole bunch of things. Um, and so if you hit your baseline, then most of the times you can go back and play the next week. Um, but for me, obviously didn't pass it. So when you don't pass, you know, you just, you keep going, you get 24 hours and then you'll do it again, 24 hours and do it again. And I can't remember the exact thing, but it would be like, okay, once you've passed it, then it might, the next day might be like a light run. So it might be 
10, 100 meters, just slow run. So you're not getting your heart rate up too much, but they want to see if you're getting headaches. They want to see if you're, you know, fatiguing. They want to see if you get tired after training. They want to see so if there's symptoms. Of they want to see if there's any, if, if the, yeah, if there's any symptoms that pop up. Um, and most of the times you want to get back in play. So most of the times you, you say, yeah, no, I'm fine. Um, when really you might not be, or you might not even be aware of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, the more I had, the more I became aware of it, yeah. mate. Like, to be honest, um, the second and third one, like I looked, I went back and had a look at my tackle technique. Yeah, because I was about to say, the shit thing is sometimes it's not even your fault. That's the thing that sucks. That's the thing, mate. I went back and had a look at it and even I was working with my coaches because I obviously played a really aggressive style of footy. I was like, well, maybe it is. Like, what can I do to fix this? How can I be better? How can I be a better player? Um, but all the nine times out of 10, or most of them were from foul play. So whether it's a swinging arm, um, whether it might've just been like a, a shoulder that slipped up and hit my jaw. Um, one of them was a swinging arm that got my temple from Marty to Powell <laughs> from uh, from uh, Manly, or he was at Manly at the time. And, and he was obviously a big boy. He's, yeah. he's four arms the size of my leg. Yeah, <laughs> so, wow. so there was little things like that, mate, who, um, yeah, a lot of the time, like it wasn't really tackle technique it was just either unlucky or foul play and how do you sit with that in your head to not be resentful against the fact that you're unlucky and yeah because that must be a hard one to deal with like pissed off with the world that like wait a second like man it's just just yeah, footy it's just, like it's, it's, life, it's yeah. just it's just footy like i was never i never had any resentment to any of the boys who like who had a head knock like yeah, i was yeah. probably on the other end of that as well like it's just footy yeah, and when yeah. you sign up for it you you sort of know what you're getting yourself into um in terms of education yeah there's the club doctor that you can lean on there's um i'm sure that there's workshops going through now there's probably even more than when we were going yeah. through um but yeah like the, I had the three and then um, you go off site and do the neuro testing, um, yeah. which is a probably a whole day of um, numeracy, literacy, problem solving, um, memory, cognition, a whole heap. And you're pretty cooked by the end of it. Because because of the third one, this is that qualified you that you have to go and do the external? Yeah, external. That's correct, okay. mate. Yeah, that's correct. And so after I did the date, this at, um, it's in Newcastle with yeah. Dr. Chris Levi. Um, I'm pretty sure he still does it. Um, so he's a third party. So he's not involved with yeah. the NRL. He, he's, he's offsite. Um, and so you go through and you do this um, testing. And then after that day, they go away and reflect for two weeks. And then they obviously go back, review the footage. They'll look at the head knocks. They'll look at your symptoms. They'll look at everything. Yeah. And then after that, they said, mate, you've had these big concussions. We recommend that you have six months off contact altogether just to give your brain a, a break because you've had so many hits you just got to give your brain a break how are you feeling after the third one give me some symptoms give me what your yeah. life looked like after yeah. the third one yeah so my my systems my symptoms were pretty consistent throughout they just got worse yeah. so um after the third one in 2019 um probably emotion irritability um i would become and, and forgetful i remember i remember a story where I was actually surfing. Forgetful, I remember it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was, I was, but this, this is will tie in. Yeah, yeah. I remember I was surfing, um, Crumbin, Crumbin Alley one morning, and I was surfing with a couple of mates. I put my board on the on the bit on the like little grass there, and and then I just I don't know. I just got changed, got out of my wetty, like got changed, and then I called my sister and I was like, went to pick my sister up, and I went and picked her up, and she got in the car and she's like, where, like where, 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 what were you doing? I was like, oh. I was like, I'm actually not too sure. Um, and there was just this little memory lapse. And I was like, I can't, I can't remember. So I've got my weddy, have my weddy here. It's like, but my board's not here. I was like, well, I think I was like, no, I was surfing. She's like, well, where's your board? I was like, ah, oh, not sure. As so I drove back and I like, just left the board on the beach. And there was little things like that, yeah. like leaving my car keys in like public toilets. And, and it was like little. And so that was probably the first couple signs between those little memory lapses. And then like the emotional irritability, like maybe be like, kind of pissed off for no reason and I might be really happy, but then like really sad afterwards. And it's kind of weird because you're aware of it. And this was the first time that I was going through it. The second time I was much more aware of it though. Uh-huh. Mm. What about like tired and fatigue when you, cause that's what I've heard from the few people I've spoken to with yeah, brain injury. That's been a lot yeah. of like needing to be in a dark room, not being able to leave. Did you have that? Yeah. In the, in the, so in 2019, I had the three and then I got played 2021 or 2020. Okay. So 2019, you yeah. get good. You have your six months off. You Came get the back. blessing Matt of, was, buddy, you Matt get the was, blessing of COVID. So everything's pushed back as well. Got a, got an extended time off. So I had the 12 months off, um, was 
raring to go back. Like I was pumped to go back. There was nothing that could stop what me. What protocols or what thing? Had you done anything? So it's like a little change of technique, I guess. Maybe slow and steady, mate. Or just understanding headgear. Uh, nah, no headgear, mate. Headgear will stop grazes and abrasions, but yeah. they're not gonna stop. Yeah, contact you know. so you picture your brain in a skull it's shaking it. it's shaking so yeah, it's not it's not, impact, it's not, not one force exactly mate exactly um so it was a slow it was a slow progression like after the six months it was, it was starting the tackle technique starting very slowly um one-on-one contact easing into two-on-one contact easing into three-on-one contact um and just slowly progressing but coming back to your question um was the tiredness and the other symptoms those things came in 2021 yeah. when I, you know, I'd left Gold Coast Titans. Um, I got a start at the Parramatta Eels, which was really cool. Um, they were a semi-final club the previous year. They were playing really great footy. Um, and the same thing, like had three really big concussions throughout that season. Wow. Um, and then that's when I really started to notice like the tiredness, like my last game against. Same um, thing was a concussion, few weeks off to get back. Yeah. Concussion. And, and that's what they talk about, the commentators and everything. It's yeah. like. And I'm very conscious of it, mate. Like I was, I was, I was very conscious of it. I had a, and probably a little bit more mature at the time as well. Like I had a head knock and I was very open about my symptoms. Like I was very like, okay, well, if I need a week, if I need two weeks, I'm going to take it. I'm yeah. going to let my brain recover. Because I'm sure you'd spoken to some doctors and some experts being like, hey, this is a serious thing. 100%. This is a legitimate injury that although people might not be able to see it is as if not more debilitating than most injuries yeah so that last brain powers everything exactly mate the last the last one i had was against um penrith panthers um it was the last season it was the last game before we were playing semi-finals and i think i got a little head knock earlier on in the game but it wasn't a big one i think it was just i was a little bit dazed and then I went to jam on Tabita Pangai. We were defending our try line and Tabita Pangai, is, he's a big guy. We used to play together at Bronx. He's a, he's a really great fella. But he was shooting, he was jamming in to score a try. And so I had to jam in on him and obviously came off second best. It was a whiplash and my back of the head hit the ground. And that's when I was completely out. Completely out. Um, came off the field with a headache and I was like, is this like, this is obviously my third one. I'm going to have to go, knew that I would have to go through all the concussion testing because after three, you have to do the independent concussion testing like we did before. Um, But that's when I really started to notice the symptoms, like, um, because I wanted to play semis. So, and so I was like, well, that's next week. Um, But I looked at, I had a headache the next day and my headache just stayed there that whole week. So I realized I wasn't going to play the semi. Um, tried to like go to the gym and like um and couldn't couldn't lift any weights i remember because we were in a bubble on the gold coast at the time so i was trying to lift the weights and then i was just open to the to the strength and conditioning i was like man i can't do it like um and so i went back to the room and just would sleep all afternoon like and tiny and then we'll do like a return let's pull it back even more let's just do some straight line running did some straight line running i was like man my my head is just thumping like i just can't i can't do it and so i went back and i would sleep all afternoon remember a key memory was when um, it was my granddad's like, I think it was like his 80th birthday or something. And he wasn't doing that great at the time. Like we didn't know how many birthdays he was going to have left. And I remember driving there just, just angry, but I had no, like I had no reason to be angry. Like, but I was, I was aware of it. So it's a really weird thing. Like you're aware of it, but you're still like really pissed off. And I remember driving there and I was sitting and then I was around my family who I love and, and it was a really special time. We got to beat it with him. And I remember just being like, just constantly in my own head, how angry I was and irritable I was. Yeah, right. And then as soon as I got out, I sat in the car and then just broke down. I was like, what am I doing? Like, how many times am I going to get to see him again? I remember just being so emotional. And then, um, and then after that, it was like, okay, well now it's time to go back and see the neurologist. Um, did the whole testing again. Um, and yeah, they went back and reflected and then um, got the phone call from the neurologist and he said, actually, no, I didn't get the phone call, sorry. I went I went in back to see him and had a conversation with him. What did you expect they were going to say after this time? I sort of had a feeling, mate. Like I sort of like, um, I sort of was like, maybe, like maybe they'll, maybe they'll review it and they'll have like another 12 months off. But he, we, it was a really just like open, genuine conversation. And he pretty much said, look, mate, you've got a lot of stuff going on outside of footy. Like you're studying, you're doing your MBA. Um, you've had these big concussions. Like he's like, I recommend that you should medically retire. I remember hearing that thinking, I was like, I was like, I was kind of shocked, but I also kind of agreed with him. 
because I was like, because I was having like conversations with my, my partner at the time, my family, my friends. Actually, probably not so much my friends, but more my family. Like, what's more important, your life or footy? That's it, man. Comes pretty quickly, that's, the answer. That's the nail on the head. I was like, I want to be good when I'm 40, 50, 60 down the track. Like I see a lot of guys who struggle to articulate their thoughts, who can't put a sentence together, who might be having memory lapses. And, and then even the really scary ones like um, like past coaches who have committed suicide due to CTE and all these other stuff. And I remember being like pretty scared about that. So as hard as it was to take that pill, I was like, well, yeah, okay. Well, this is the hand I've been dealt. Like I've just got to move on. Yeah. Yeah. It must be so hard getting that. <laughs> Getting that word from the doctor saying like you got a medical retire at twenty three at the time. I was twenty four. Yeah. Twenty four, like it's like right in the prime of your career. But yeah, what what was that next chapter like for you? How did you deal with that mentally? Was there quite a bit of recovery that came with it, or because once you've retired, be like, all right, I'm in the clear. I'm not playing footy anymore. It's all good. But it's not like that. It's like this is like a constant thing yeah. to make sure that yeah we're taking better care of our brains. Yeah, I um. I, so I had the symptoms lingered. So we had the semifinal. Then after the season, everyone dispersed. So none of the boys knew what was happening. Yeah, I was right. sort of went, but I stayed on the coast. They all went back to Sydney. And, and they like, just knew of you having a head knock. Had a head knock. It'd be sweet. It'd be right for next season. Had another season on my contract. And then um, had a headache for like the two months afterwards. Wow. The emotions um, started to like stable out after those two months as well. I started to get back into training. Um Throughout that time, um, I found out that I was had to medically retire. Um, had a conversation with the coach, um, which was pretty tough. I always say that was the hardest conversation that I've had because that was the first time that I said out loud that I was going to have to medically retire. And man, he was so good. Like the whole club was great. They're like, mate, we love footy, and footy's like it's our life, but it's not everything. Like yeah. he, like, and he, and they were so good. The boys, everyone was great. Um, but I'm never one to be like kicking stones for too long. It was one of those things where I was like, okay, well, yeah, this is what's been dealt, but what's next? Like I'm, I really love footy and I love everything that it's given me. Like I don't regret footy at all, but there's so many things outside of things that I'm excited about. Like I'm really excited about like jujitsu. I'm really excited about business and I'm really excited about helping people. That's probably one of the biggest things that I've, that I've found in the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, and then that led into um, the stuff that I do with WhatAbility now, which we, we, we're going to catch up to that. Yeah. What did you think when, let's call it before you got told you were going to have to medically retire. What did you think your future after football was going to look like? I thought, I genuinely thought that I would play until like I was 30s, into my 30s. I might like go over to the UK, play a couple seasons over in the UK because that's always fun. Um, and then, yeah, I'm not too sure. Like, maybe I'll be in the fireys. Maybe I'll do something in the club. Um, I'll probably, yeah, play for 10 plus years. So I'll be set financially, um, yeah. which isn't usually the reality. Like it's, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's great to have that dream, but there's only a small amount of players that get to do that. Um, but yeah, mate, it was always play for as long as I can. And then, you know, keep studying, keep having these little tools in the tool belt, inquiring them over the next 10 years. And then it got cut short and I was like, okay, well, yeah, I tried a whole bunch of stuff when I was playing footy, but, but what's next? Mm. I still I still didn't know what I wanted to do when I finished up. Um, luckily, when you get medically retired, you get your contract paid out. Yeah. Um, so I had so I had 12 months breathing room to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, so I applied for the fireys. I thought that would be a cool thing to do. Like I'm still helping people. Like that's my why, mate. Yeah, like, yeah tell me. I'm excited to find. Well, have yeah. you, you, you would do stuff with like your own why. Like your mission's probably very Absolutely. much Absolutely. I, I, I reflected recently where I learned mine. We had um, an Olympics training camp for surfing and I found an old diary the other day, actually. It's funny. And I didn't, so I've been like, watching the imperfects and a lot of these guys and i've been seeing ben crow's work quite yeah. a lot lately i love it i think ben crow's one of the best like coaches for yeah. minds especially athletes but also business anybody yeah. um and i've been watching his stuff recently and i was like oh this guy's so good and i quoted a lot and i talk yeah. about it and he follows me on instagram and i like tried to get him to come on the podcast once <laughs> he never replied to me anyway he'll come on eventually but where I'm going with this story was, I was like, why does he follow me? I thought maybe because he saw my potty with Hugh. But then I found in this old diary that this is just me being slack. It was from like five years ago at this Olympics training camp. We had like all these different speakers. It was like the original like welcome to the Olympic surfing. Yeah. Pick 10 of the top male Australian surfers in the country, five of the females and all come to a camp to introduce surfing to the Olympics. So that was a camp. We had all these speakers like Kathy Freeman spoke. Yeah. Um 
oh, who else spoke? This guy, Nam Baldwin, like Fanning, yeah. all these people. And I didn't realise that Ben Crow spoke because I found this old diary and there's all these wow, things. Wow, mate, yeah. And I, was, and I remember because I went through it and I was like, they're all the things that I talk about and I really express through my work. And I learned them from him and I didn't even remember that it was him. And uh, why, where I'm going with this is one of the exercises we did at that training camp was they said, what's your um, purpose? And I kind of at the time, no, what's your philosophy? Yeah. What's your life philosophy? And I feel like no one else at the camp really took it that seriously. But I remember going, taking home my little leather black journal <laughs> and spending the night writing it down. And we had to like present it to the psychologist, Ben, and somebody else the next day, I'm guessing. And mine ended up being through hard work, dedication, and passion, being a positive influence to my young, to my peers and younger generations. How old were you then? This would have been five years ago. So I would have been about 23, 24. Yeah. And at that time, I didn't realise, but now I reflect on since I wrote that on a piece of paper, and I feel like ever since that, I've really lived exactly to that philosophy. Wow. Through hard work, dedication, and passion, I feel like the work I'm doing shows that, being a positive influence on my peers and younger generations. Obviously, it's my peers and the whole community, but I was like, ah. Oh. So I learned that. So going back to the question. Where did you learn that giving back and being a positive influence? Because I feel like that was a time where I kind of went, oh, maybe I'm not going to make this Olympic surf team, but I can get around this stuff, like understanding who I am, what my values are as a human. That means I don't have to win a surf comp to be happy. I can live to this philosophy to be happy. So yeah, when did you start to reflect on who you were outside of the footy player? Well, mate, props for having that self-awareness at such a young age because most guys at 23 and 24 aren't thinking about that kind of stuff for later on mm. um for me it happened at a young age i probably always saw my mum and my dad they were really great role models for me like my mum's a teacher um she taught a lot of my friends all the reinforcement that i got from them was like your mum is the nicest person she's always so giving she always has time for me and then i would see my dad who's a very social guy who you know everyone loves everyone gets around and he would do anything for you like he would you know, help always be helping his mates out, whether it be like lifting stuff or he would always like give time for people. Yeah. And I think I recognize that because like obviously we get a lot of our traits through our parents, right? Yeah. Um, positive and negative. But I remember always seeing like that helping, giving back nature of them. And I think that just sort of stuck with me. Like even when I was playing footy, like I always wanted to help the younger guys who was coming through, like if they were looking for a house and let's like look at real estate together. I found this sick place, like have a look at this one or um Actually, it probably ties into um, probably when I, I lost a mate like um, to suicide when we were 17. Wow. Um, that's how I really got into mental health. And after seeing that, this guy, Regan, like he was he was our captain of the Queensland team. He was, um, we both made the Australian team together. Um, a guy that everyone loved, like seriously, like well-respected, funny, happy, a guy that has everything. Um, he ended up breaking his leg in the Queensland um, Championship. We both got picked in the Australian team, but he couldn't go overseas. We had a six-week tour of France and England. Couldn't go overseas, went to a really dark place, um, and then ended up committing suicide that January the following year. Fucking, mate, wild. Like, and I remember thinking that. He was my... 17, so hard. 17, mate. Like, and he was... I remember thinking, this is someone who I love. This is someone who has everything. And yet he still struggles with, you know, his own mental battles. Like, and we were roommates together in, in, in the, in the champ school boy championship. I remember thinking like, I had no idea that he was struggling through this kind of stuff. And so from there, I was like, it tied into, you know, my parents giving me, I was like, well, I want to be that guy who my mates can talk to. So throughout my whole footy career, I wanted to be able to have conversations with my mate. I always wanted to check in on the younger boys, especially. Um, I wanted to, I'm doing stuff with November for the last seven, eight years. I want to be an advocate for the space where it's just like, it's okay to talk about these things. And that's why it ties into the Keegan and Company podcast. Like that, that's the conversations I want to have. So I think to make long story short, to answer your question, I think it's a, a whole mixture of, of past experiences that have you know made me and probably made yourself the person that we are today yeah man thanks for sharing that i it just it's so so heavy suicide especially like young people like that's where the good human factory was sparked my younger sister lost two friends Mm. in a fortnight to suicide in year 12 and i was just like 
for one, we don't know when people are struggling, but yeah. for two, we just don't get taught at school like these values and these different little things that we can do that make us feel good. And that's why it's so good that you're going to the schools and having these conversations with them because that's when we need to be having these conversations at those really pivotal times. And right? it's sometimes that I feel like us as young athletes did have certain role models that we looked up to that created those sparks for us to maybe have these understandings of you in the world through a different life, exactly like you, you're meeting Hugh when you're 17, 18, you get that message of gratitude at that young age. Most of us don't get that. And it's a privilege that we get it through the channels that we're allowed. So that's why I feel like it's my duty now to share the amazing lessons that I've learned throughout my career, but also through great conversations yeah. and getting to work with this amazing network of coaches throughout my career. It's like, oh, these lessons that I've taken for granted, exactly my Ben Crow lesson, mm. It's like, all right, how can we amplify that in our own way to help people, which, yeah, it's, it's been fun. And the compounding effects, mate, like you you have people like myself who've been watching from afar and then you're also having like hands-on impact to these younger kids that are coming through. Imagine you, you change one person's life. They change three people's lives. Mm. They change six people. And the compounding effect from that, that's how genuine change and genuine impact happens. And that's why I'm such a fan of what you do. That's why I'm such a fan of what Hugh does. That's why I'm such a fan of guys and girls who are having these conversations because it's so important, man. So yeah. like, well done. I'm, I'm a big fan. Oh, I appreciate it, man. It's um, it's so cool to connect. I'm sure we're going to do some cool stuff together over the next little chapter. But let's talk about this post-footy chapter now. Yep. You get medically retired at 24 years old. What, you're 27 now? 26. 26. 26. Yeah. So this is a long go. Two years ago, just out of the backside of COVID, what did you do that 12 months where you're still getting paid to play footy, even though you're medically retired, you're yeah. getting paid out? What did you do to set yourself up into this next chapter? And then, yeah, tell me about what you're doing with Wattability and how that relationship started. Yeah, mate. So I, um, I like I said, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I finished up footy. Um, I was lucky to have that 12 months breathing room. I applied for the Flyeries and it was actually, it's actually pretty random. I caught up with a mate, Steve Dresler, who we went to school with. He was at Parramatta in the under-20s competition, that younger competition. And he got medically retired through, um, he had three ACL reconstructions. And he was working in a disability school and founded this disability support service that concentrates on community access. So what that means is they take participants with disabilities out to the community to just have fun. Um, we found that when participants are having fun, then the whole, their whole life improves. Like when they're having fun, they, they can reach their goals and their goals might be ordering a coffee by themselves. It might be more comfortable on public transport. It might be more socially interactive. So they're having genuine impact, which is what I love. Anyway, we just, and sorry, also what makes them unique is that they employ a lot of athletes as support workers. Mm. So anyway, me and him, we caught up as mates just for a coffee. He said, mate, well, what are you doing now? You've got all this time on your hands after you stop playing footy. I said, well, yeah, I'm not too sure. He said, come, come do a day with us. Anyway, I did out. I went out on the day with a participant, and I just loved it. Like I loved the whole company. I loved that they have genuine impact. They help participants. They help the family, giving them respite. But they also give flexible employment to athletes who are training at a really high level, but they need flexible employment around their training. So a lot of AFLW, a lot of NRLW, a lot of development guys who are not on that top tier contract, they still need flexible employment. And so I did, so I went out on the days and I, I had, I was having all this fun, you know, we're taking participants surfing and swimming and kicking a footy. And, and then um, Steve approached me and said, mate, we need someone to build an athlete program. Like, is that something you'd be interested in? Like, do you want to come on full time? And so I said, yeah, this is actually something that's really cool. So I really leaned on my relationships in the NRL world, in the AFL world, in just through mutual connections yeah, yeah. that we had um, to, yeah. So my role as the national athlete manager now is, yeah, we were just in Sydney. Now we've launched all of Australia. Um, we're in major cities in Australia. And so my role is to present to a lot of the AFL, NRLW teams, a lot of teams to give them flexible employment. But then also those top tier athletes who might not be doing this for cash, but they do it because they love it. That's like your Tom Trevojevic's, this is your Dyson Heffel, Braden Maynard. Brad Maynard's a perfect example. You know, he captained Collywood on the weekend and he's going out on support, like on um, days out in the community access with participants who might have an intellectual disability. They might have a physical disability. Like, and they're so influential in the community because same with mental health. Like they're, they're the top guys in their field. If they can be seen, you know, having a coffee with someone with an intellectual disability, it makes it okay for mm. the whole community. It takes that stigma out of the conversation and it changes the narrative of what's being said. Um, so, mate, so yeah, I went full-time with them, helped them like grow their athlete pool and have not only really great athletes, but really great 
people as well which is really cool mate it's so cool and you can just see like how passionate you are like to be able to sidestep from a career (coughs) leaving earlier than you probably should have or would have hoped for but then to find something that's probably giving you so much joy and i'm sure you're probably as excited if not more excited waking up for work every day now than you were to go and play footy how does it work with what ability so they have like is it kind of through like the ndis or people who yeah have disabilities and they kind of need like yeah activity sort of care is to keep them engaged in the community and to yeah expand can people sign up to volunteer yeah or is it more so yeah people they're probably needing so many support workers yeah, because a lot of these people um a lot of people with disabilities need like full-time carers yeah. so i think having yeah obviously i'm sure you guys are always looking for more people yeah so we're so we are an ndis registered provider um the volunteer is tricky because we have a duty of care when yeah. we go out with the participants. So you need a blue card, you need an NDIS check, you need a yeah. working with children's check. Um, we want to put our support workers through a much more intensive program yeah, yeah. or training in order to become on board because we want them to be knowledgeable and we yeah. want them to be confident when they come out on bookings. Um, so there is a process to come on through, but mate, don't get me wrong. Like um, the stuff that, you know, Braden Maynard and Tom Dvojevic go through, exact same as what an 18 year old has got like these guys are approved support workers it's not like they're just going out for a volunteer booking and we do that because it's authentic and we do that because it's really great like maddie proud um australian netball player she's a captain of the new south wales swifts netball team she um ran out walked the ball out with one of her participants um and what made it really great and beautiful was that her and her participant they go and get their nails done together so she she has a really great relationship with her so that she knew she had to walk her out but she also knew that she had to walk her back off the field because she wasn't comfortable walking off back by herself. Um, so yeah, mate, we're always looking to expand. Um, obviously there are a lot of athletes and we don't just hire athletes. We hire yeah. other people as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's cool to see that space growing and, and it's cool to, to have a hands-on impact and mate, everything that I want to be doing now, same as you, everything I want to be doing now, I want to be doing in the next 10 years. You know, that's, that ties into the mental health, podcast that i'm doing get to that yeah that's second yeah sorry to jump mate um but yeah everything that i'm doing now i want to be doing for the next 10 years or i want to be a part of for the next 10 years which is really cool yeah man it's so cool to know that you've like found good employment you've got your degrees and i just like to i reflect on kind of your life and go like you must be so grateful that your parents did encourage you to really stay with your studies as well because imagine you get to this point it will the medical medical retirement in your career without anything to fall back on it's um yeah it's a great story of yeah having that to fall back on it's like yeah you must be so grateful that your parents encouraged you to do that 100 percent, 100 percent. and that's what i tell to all the younger crew who are coming through is just you don't have to do a degree like doing doing a degree or doing a trade it might not be for you but just trying different career paths continue reading reading and being in a professional semi-professional environment you're in such a privileged area as you would know like you have access to other people where you might not have access to like when i was playing footy i tried everything like i worked in fine dining restaurants i was at cafes i laid brick uh, i worked as a mortgage broker like and i'd just go do little days i wouldn't become the whole thing but i would just go do a day and just trial it and so when i've retired i knew that i didn't want to do all of these things but i had a kind of a general idea and it takes time like i talked to matt Sharma, he was on the podcast yesterday um retired nrl titans player and he said mate it takes usually takes guys about two years to figure out what they want to do after retiring from Mm -hmm. professional sport and so I always say, yeah, try a bunch of different things and you might not like it or, or you might love something. You'd be like, okay, that's what I'm going to be doing, which is mm. cool. And then as well, I think as as athletes who are like the top of their level, you go into another job and you're not like, not everyone's thinking about you trying to make you achieve. It's like you're back to here. So like yeah. that transition and that ego can be yeah hard to deal with sometimes. That's but- wild. I, had, I literally had this conversation okay. yesterday with, with one of the boys, like – I won't say his name, but one of the best athletes in Australia, in sorry, in the world. And he's like, I've been, I've been the best athlete in my field for however long. I'm I'm nervous to go into another job where I'm not going to be the best. That's it's, that's literally what he said. I'm I'm literally nervous to stop doing what I'm doing now because I'm not going to be at that high level. 
But then the conversation was structured, but I'm also really curious about learning and then getting that positive reinforcement and starting again and then having like, yeah, slowly building again, which is, which is really cool. Yeah. I always talk about the fact that I feel like I'm like a fourth year apprentice now. I'm like in my last year of kind of understanding maybe what happened in this industry. And then I can start actually making moves from the end of this year. But no, it's, um, it's really exciting to see where your career's gone and obviously disappointing the outcome with the nrl career but to have used the skills that you've learned the mindset that you've gathered but then also the like care for others that your parents have instilled in you is special last thing let's talk about your podcast you've just launched yeah, yeah. three episodes in yeah. i will come on as a guest you haven't asked me yet but i will um but now tell me about the podcast it's um, a mental health podcast you wanted to make sure that people start opening up these conversations obviously it's something very passionate um something i'm very passionate about as well so yeah tell me about where the idea for keegan and company and yeah yeah mate yeah who you've had on so far yeah the keegan and company podcast it's a it's a mental health and sport podcast um where the whole goal is well for me growing up i think we talked about it before before we started recording like all my role models growing up were athletes like everyone who i looked up to they were in the sporting sense one of my one of my biggest role models was paul harrigan who played um, played for Australia, played New South Wales Origin. Um, not only a great player, he's a family friend. So he and I knew the type of person he was. He was a really great person. Um, and so I recognised that you know if these athletes can be seen having these really vulnerable conversations and being authentic, then it makes it okay for us to be having these conversations. And obviously, each conversation is different. Like we've spoken to Mac Horton and Olympic gold medals who won gold at Rio for the 400 free. Um, Ali Day, who's one of the best Ironman in Australia at the moment, and Samantha Gash, who's an ultra marathon runner. And a lot of these, a lot of these guys, like if they can be seen having these conversations, then like everyone else can be like, well, so can I. And it, and it's the exact same. Like it takes the stigma out of the conversation. It takes the, it flips the narrative and it's like, well, if they can do it, so can I. Mm. So that's the, so that's pretty much the idea behind it. And for me personally, mate, um, with concussion, like new learning is a really great thing um, to better your brain health. I'm really interested in mental health. I'm really interested in continuing learning. I want to do my postgraduate in psychology at the end of this year. Like this is the stuff that I want to be doing for the next 10 years. So for the podcast, it's not about preaching because mate, to be honest, I don't know. You're on there to learn. I'm not, I'm there to learn from the best athletes in Australia, if not the world, like this is going to be like, come with me to learn, come with me this journey to figure out, you know, what are the tools and what can we have in our tool belt to help my friends and family. Cause that's the whole goal, right? Like I want to do my post psych, my postgraduate in psychology. I want to have these conversations so I can have the tools and frameworks to help my community, mm. to help my friends, to help my family, my kids one day. Um, Cause I recognize that, mate, I don't, I don't, I'm going in with, I don't know anything. Yeah. Trying to grab as much information as them. And, and hopefully if someone else can be like, Oh, well, if they're going through that, that's, that's fucking cool and that's fine and that's normal mm. and, it re- and it's relatable. Um, so yeah, mate, um, I get a lot of inspiration from yourself, to be honest. Like I see you, you ticked over the hundred episodes, which is a huge milestone, Been a lot. <laughs> um, which is great. And you would have had some amazing conversations and the learnings that you would have got through that. It's huge. So mate, yeah, that's the goal. The goal is to settle in and, and to do this for probably the next 10 years. Mate, I love it. I um, I can't wait to listen to some of the episodes. You've obviously got such a big heart. It's very similar to the ideas that I have because I feel like a lot of us put athletes and these heroes of ours on pedestals but don't really understand that, oh, wait a second, they're going through the same stuff. Oh, they also had their grandparent pass away like mm-hmm. right before an event that you didn't hear about when they're standing up on the thing receiving. It's like mm-hmm. there's always so much going on behind the scenes and when you can have those vulnerable conversations, like you said, it allows other people to go like, oh, yeah you know what, maybe my life not isn't that bad, but maybe I can get through this challenging time too. Like, yeah, I can overcome this time. And by learning the skills that each other people or all the guests that you have on have, you go, oh, I can add that to my toolbox. It's like one of the most selfish, yeah. greatest things ever having a yeah. podcast because yeah. I just feel like I'm the lucky one who gets to have the conversation. And now there's thousands of people who listen every day that it's just like, oh, it's so nice to know that just by having a conversation, people can learn. And you would have got so many messages throughout. You might have done a podcast and you might have like, I've only done three and the amount of messages and support that you get, it's like, wow, I had one of the boys that I work with the other day. He's like, he's a Polynesian guy. comes from a Polynesian family. He's like, man, I went to my first psychologist, like my first therapy session the other day. 
And I was like full goosebumps, like, mate, I'm so proud of you. And you get all these messages saying, this has sparked the conversation. This is like helped me to reach out to my friend who's been going through a hard time. This has actually allowed me to reach out to my friends. Like you would have got heaps, right? Mm. Well, that's like going back to my philosophy thing. The thing that I'm probably the most proud of of all the work I've done is the part in it where it says being a positive influence to my peers and younger generations. The amount of like people in my inner circle, especially a handful of like my best mates who have literally been like, oh, just because of the way that we all talk now as a group and the way that we're all pretty open about it. I've had this new conversation with my dad and brought up some stuff that I don't agree with, which is just built on our relationship. And I'm like, that makes me as much as like, don't get me wrong. Like there's nothing better than getting multiple messages a day than the different things that we do with the good human factory and making an impact. When you hear your friends saying that their relationship with their family is better because of the conversation, like that's the stuff that matters. I remember reading this thing. Have you heard of Ray Dalio? Yeah. Ray Dalio, he's um he's the owner of a hedge fund in, in America. I think it's called Bridgewater. Um, one of the most successful um hedge funds in, in the world. And he wrote a book called Principles. Unbelievable book. Um okay. and he the main thing for his life's philosophy is meaningful work and meaningful relationships. Yes, money will come off the back of it, and yes, you need like a minimum amount to be, you know, sustainable. But he's like, if you don't have the meaningful work and the meaningful relationships, then what are we doing? Like, and then once I read that, I, I wrote it on my mirror and I thought, you know what, this is really cool. Yeah. And this is how I think I'm going to structure my life. Good on you. It sounds like that's exactly what you're doing. It's mm. been um, epic to get to know your story, bro. I feel like we're going to be mates after this. Mm. I feel like we have such very similar views on the world, very similar understandings on kind of where we want to go in this world and the impact that we want to have. So Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know your story. We will continue these conversations as the year goes on. I um, Yeah, I just love getting to know your journey. Your heart's in such a pure place. And I apologize for my crackly, snotty-nosed <laughs> voice for the whole episode. But I do finish all of Good Humans podcast with the same question. Um, and I'm really excited to hear what your yeah. answer is going to be to this. So what does being a good human mean to Keegan Hipgrave? Um, being a good human. Um go anywhere with this yeah i know there's yeah yeah i think i think um probably being being a good role model i think yeah being a good human is the life you live is a lesson you teach others and Mm -hmm. i think that's a standout i think if it's the the conversations the things that we can be having helping other people i think that's going to have a really great compounding effect to have actual impact in the world Mm -hmm. um so i think yeah i think probably yeah, being a good role model and, and probably helping other people. I love it, man. Well, thank you so much for jumping on. Thank you for sharing your story. Hopefully people are a bit more aware about concussion, CTE, and the impact that, yeah, it can have. Hopefully if there's any young footy players, they might be a bit more aware of their tackling technique or at least more aware if they do get a head knock to go and get checked out and not let these things just sit there and fester. Um Thank you for being so open with your story, letting us know about your friend who passed away with suicide, letting us know about your career and the ups and downs that were involved in it. It's so awesome that you got to play NRL, man. That's something that I'm sure as a kid, you probably would have just dreamed of getting to play a game. So to play a few seasons, albeit cut short, is a big um, impact. But the thing that most impresses me, man, is the work you're doing now, the heart you have, and the impact that I can see you're about to have through the what ability work you're doing, but also the podcast is going to go strength and strength. You've already had three guests and you've had Olympic gold medalists <laughs> on. It's um going to be really cool to see who you chat to because I feel like your openness and your story really brings out the vulnerability in others too. So I can't wait to listen to some podcasts. Cool, so. mate. Thanks so much for having me. Like I said, you're, you're a huge inspiration to me and a lot of people out there. So, man, I look forward to having you on the on the podcast in the in the next couple of months, which would be cool. Mate, it's going to be great. And we'll, um, yeah, we'll keep chatting. I want to do some collaboration with Good Human Factory. I see some cool stuff we can do, obviously, with what ability Benny Tudhope, an mm. ambassador with me here yeah. as well. Um, and yeah, I'd love to talk to you about being an ambassador as well. For us, is um, a program that, I'm trying to grow, but I also don't have much time to do anything. So I'm trying, when I expand, <laughs> right, when, I, when, I, when I expand, the ambassador stuff's going to get bigger. Right. But I'm just like, I need to employ some, but that's coming. But mate, thank you so much Cheers, for jumping man. on Good Humans Podcast. Beautiful. Thank you, bro. My man. Mate, how good? Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.